0: Hello, and welcome to Bread. We're a newish, open-minded, spirit-filled, non-denominational church meeting in the Los Feliz area of Los Angeles. We're the kind of Christians who like the Bible a lot, but we're not gonna thump you with it. We believe in the world-changing power of Jesus and the present-day work of the Holy Spirit to change things. Right now, the whole world is in a process of adapting to new realities, and so are we building community and sharing all this love and power suddenly seems like it might become a bit more challenging. But really, how lucky are we that we're facing all this in the 21st century? Throughout the duration of this new world coronavirus order, we'll be doing all of church online, but we're not afraid. We worship a God who is bigger than all of this. We've seen it all before and will work all things together for the good of those who love him. We love you and we're here. Stay in touch and enjoy this podcast. We're back. Who would have thought this would all actually work? Um, It is a miracle. This is a talk that I prepared a few weeks ago uh, when life looked a little different. And it was supposed to be for the Sunday after the Alpha Day away and it had kind of a practical workshop application ending. So I'd planned on just shelving it until we can next meet in person again. But it occurred to me at some time around 4am on Thursday, I think. I mean, times and days seem to matter less at the minute, don't they? Um, But that every single thing about this passage that I'd been planning on speaking on suddenly seemed remarkably pertinent to where we as Christians, as human beings, find ourselves right now. It's from Romans, uh, which is a letter to an established group of Jewish and Gentile um, Christian converts um, in Rome. And it's full to the brim, that book of relevant nuggets for us to hold on to in this time, just as a side point. We are more than conquerors. Nothing can separate us from his love. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. This thing that is happening right now is hard, isn't it? I've been in conversations with friends and family on five different continents this week, some of them for the first time in months, and I'm I'm sure you're in the same situation. But it's a sentiment that I've heard over and over and over again from all around the world, that we may be in isolation, but we're all in this together. Have we ever, in fact, in the history of mankind, not to be too grandiose about it, have we ever been so together so levelled, so equalised by the impact of this thing and so able to share it because of the wonders of technology? Have we ever seen how the same we are in our fear and uncertainty? How we feel the same range of things about being stuck inside? How flipping incredible moments of fresh air and open spaces feel? How awe-strikingly beautiful it is to see our planet recover just a little bit. How, across language barriers, we can laugh together. Singing gummy bears and parents hiding from their children. The ingenuity needed to exercise in our confined spaces. The um, Italian guy on the pretend treadmill is still my absolute favourite. How badly we need to laugh together. My girls and I rode our bikes to Griffith Park yesterday. It wasn't a casual let's go for a bike ride. It was a pretty uh, urgent get out of the house and go for a bike ride now kind of a moment. And um, we rode down there, three of us, and we found a pretty quiet spot on a big stretch of grass. And we lay under a tree and we just stared up at it. And I thought about how many pictures I'd seen. Of some of you on social media from all around the world of people just doing really similar things finding such unbelievable beauty in something so simple like a big tree and a blue sky and we were about to leave yesterday when we noticed four people from kind of across this big stretch of grass um who were walking towards us and everybody noticed them because um they were wearing uh the the bride was wearing a bride a wedding dress and um The man was, I'm not explaining this very well. It was a wedding couple. They were clearly a wedding party, all dressed up, but just four of them. And they walked across this stretch of grass and everyone dotted around in their isolated spots um, stood up and clapped and cheered. And nobody said a word about what we imagined they'd had to do in cancelling their, you know, caterers, venue, guests massive party they presumably spent weeks organizing i'm guessing all of this they could have just been dressing up in fancy dress for fun but it was such an amazing moment i had a massive cry no one else no one said an actual word but it was so beautiful and so painful to be in this together rejoice with those who rejoice and mourning with those who mourn it's never quite felt so doable before has it There are a few things about this current predicament that are a bit horribly familiar to Ed and I. At the end of 2015, when our visa to move here hadn't arrived, we had grossly misunderstood the meaning of the word deadline um, and what that does and doesn't mean to the US immigration system. And as that deadline fast approached and since Ed hadn't worked in London for about six months by then and my work was mobile, we decided to get ahead of the move that we knew was coming. We packed up our house and rented it out and we put our stuff in storage. We went to Morocco for a month for an adventure with the kids. And then we returned thinking that we were days, moments away from this deadline. But then nothing happened. We didn't hear a thing, not a word. So we moved in with Ed's very kind mum in her house in the countryside. And it was the dead of winter and we didn't know many people in the area. And we didn't have many reasons to leave the house, just the supermarket and a walk every now and then. And we were attempting to homeschool, only very briefly, it didn't work out very well that time. We had no idea when it would be over. It was in fact a further eight months until the visa came through, but that doesn't need to matter in this instance. So we have had a bit of PTSD this week, but the significant significant difference was that we were alone. No one else was going through anything like what we were going through. In our minds, everyone thought we were nutters, stupid and irresponsible. I'm telling you that because that isolation was something else completely. Despite the striking similarities, this thing has something quite beautiful threaded through it. Not for a moment that I'm glad any of you are experiencing this as well. We are not alone. We are going through this with quite literally everyone else. And it's hard to not feel quite a lot of hope about what this experience could do for us collectively. So we're gonna go to the passage now, which I think Brian is gonna read to us. Over to Brian. Good morning, Brad. From my house to yours, today I'll be reading from Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, Every detail of Paul's theology of the gospel is always to be read in view of mercy. Mercy before everything else. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies, which could be more accurately translated as whole selves, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. The phrase living sacrifice um, has some layers of meaning, maybe not quite as obvious um, to us as they would have been to the original Jewish, Greek and Roman audience all familiar with the concept of animal sacrifice. This is all the Levitical language here. Animals had to be brought to the temple, alive and blemished, holy and pleasing to God. The word for sacrifice in the Greek, crucially, is actually killing. So it's a living killing. It's deliberately paradoxical. As Paul has um, explained in full in the chapters coming before this, we're all now saved, Jew and Gentile alike, by grace because of the sacrifice Jesus made for us. The blood has already been shed, the killing has already been done. It's the living part that's ours to do, the ongoing day-by-day choice that we all make to offer ourselves, our lives, our control, our power. This is true and proper worship. True and proper means thought through, intelligent. So all of our mind worship rather than just sort of the ceremonial kind. We really worship when we give up control. So speaking of unprecedented things. Ours is probably the cultural moment in time most entirely opposed to this truth. Everything about our cultural mindsets until perhaps this week says we get to choose. We are in control of our destiny. We are free to decide what happens to us. So no wonder we're all feeling so lost. Our very cultural identity says this cannot be happening. A virus cannot be in control. In our church community alone, it has taken jobs. Gigs, bookings, vacations, an array of things already paid for. We've lost birthday parties. My nine-year-old can tell you about that pain. We've lost contracts, our homes in a couple of cases. It has taken things away from us that we had felt like were answers to prayers. And financial security feels less and less ours to almost all of us. Underneath it all... We're losing the belief that that we're in control at all, that we're free. So this is where the rubber is hitting the road. This is where the I surrender, the God's in control, it's all his money. It's all making a bit of a stink, isn't it, as rubber does when it hits roads. What do we really think about all this now? I wonder if I can force you to think for a moment about what you are being forced to trust God for right now. What did you believe you were in control of until just a few days ago? Ed mentioned last week the precarious situation we've been in with moving money across from the UK at best time in world history to be doing that to buy a place here and please know that I'm in full knowledge that we are unbelievably lucky to be buying a house here at all but what I have been very confronted by is that despite all the talk and the belief that I thought that everything about our having a house in London that we um, sold in order to buy one here everything about that I've always said told everyone else it's just a big gift from God When presented with the reality that we might lose really quite a lot of money over this, I'm suddenly faced with the realization that for quite a long time, I've seen that money, the house money, as a gift that is ours. God gave it to us, so it belongs to us and it can't be taken away. It is so exposing of how I really feel about it. And actually, when confronted with these very real fears, my options become quite simple. I can choose to trust him, or not. I can choose, have my life take control, you're the only one who knows the future, you're the only one I can trust with mine, or I can choose something else, something else that likes to nudge me awake at 4am and chat over some other options, like fear, regret, it's a big one, resentment. I've come back to that um, have my life take control, at several points in my life. And I realize now that in every single instance, it has not been when I'm on top, when life is going well. Each time I have prayed that prayer, it's when I've been in a crisis. There are famously, of course, no atheists in the trenches because the trenches, this trench that we are in now, are where we are finally confronted with the truth that's always there. We are not in control. So trusting him is, can I recommend, a choice very, very worth making. So how? Like it says here, we start with the knowledge that he's merciful. He's good. He loves you. His mercy is his default. But there are two very, very, very important things about how this works um, in this passage. D.L. Moody famously said that the problem with a living sacrifice is that it keeps crawling off the altar. This is not a one-time decision. This is a constant transforming choice to make, continually. That is the Christian life. Constantly giving him control, repeatedly saying, I trust. It's a process. We have to choose trust every day, sometimes many times a day. We may feel able to in some moments and not in others. But the key to that is in the next verse. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, or to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In terms of the neuroscience, our prefrontal cortices, the bits concerned with clear thought, rational planning and creative flow, really don't like the level of uncertainty we're currently under. Because in essence, we have no way to predict outcomes with any degree of certainty at this point? Have you been grouchy, emotionally volatile, unable to think clearly or focus? These are all very, very, very natural reactions in terms of how your brain works. I have been kind of fascinated for a while now about the science behind mindful meditation and how this synchronises with our theological and spiritual beliefs. So for the record, I'm not talking about Christian meditation and any sort of thing you might have... um, dabbled in or learned about about that I am talking specifically about the benefits of the increasingly prevalent practices of focusing the mind on just the present moment known as mindfulness on breath um, on our physical state quietening the mind by taking um moments without distraction concentrating the emotions thoughts and sensations purely on the now Apps like Calm and Headspace, they're both offering free trials at the minute. Um, and They explain this a lot better than I do um, if you'd like to give it all a whirl. With the recent development of brain scans, the neurological benefits of a regular mindful meditation practice are pretty incontrovertible. A daily practice for even two weeks can change the actual structure of your brain in ways like thickening the hippocampus, the area um, that's involved in uh, learning and memory, it's been proven to increase focus, to uh, be highly effective in reducing trauma, to reduce amyg- amygdala activity, which is where all the stress and fear and irrational things happen, even when you're not meditating, and make you more selfless. Very tellingly, um, brain scans done on, the, um, uh, on Buddhist monks show that they have um, drastically shrunken parietal lobes, um, which is the bit responsible for the sense of self. Buddhist monks, of course, uh, meditate mindfully a lot. Just like the way we know meditation works in our brains, the verb renewing in the Greek is present continual, making new, day by day. So our goal is to quieten our minds from all that we fear, worry and feel distracted about. And then fill them with him. It's what the Holy Spirit is always at work in us to do. Quieten your mind so that he can transform you. The verb here is actually passive. And this is the second point. This is his work. Be transformed is the same word in Matthew and Mark describing Jesus' transfiguration. It implies both a sense of completeness of change and the miraculousness of the change. We need to cooperate by choosing how we focus our minds, by choosing trust, choosing to look up, to write down, remind ourselves of his promises, choosing to pray when we feel unstable, choosing choosing to remind ourselves that he is merciful. But the transformation is affected by him. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's why we worship, even when we don't feel like it. Don't like the uncertainty of all of this? Of course you don't. It's why we all need to declare to our mind, bodies and spirits what is certain, that God is over everything, that there is nothing he cannot do, that he heals and that he's always working to redeem. It might not be your historically favourite genre of music, but these are brave new days for brave new ventures. Check out the worship playlist Alice put together. Listen, sing along, declare... God is good and his love endures through all this forever. There's one called God I Look To You. It's a better one. Um, It's been my go-to all week. The second line is I won't be overwhelmed, which is about as far as I get before um, I'm dealing with my feelings. It's also why we're encouraged to thank him. It's another area of incontrovertible brain science. Regularly expressing gratitude literally changes the molecular structure of your brain. It boosts serotonin and it activates the production of dopamine. Give thanks and know that he is good. It is ancient instruction backed up by science. Trusting him is a continual process, as is choosing it and choosing to let him supernaturally transform our minds. The final point in all of this, then, at the end of verse two. Do all of this so that you can test and approve God's will. Paul points out here that the renewing of the mind will enable believers to test for themselves and approve what God is saying, what he's doing, what he's creating, what he's opening doors to, what he wants us to do. This is a whole new moment. Yes, we've lost control, but so many other rules have been broken too the rule of separation, the rule of it's me against the world, the rule of inertia. No one feels inertia at the minute, do they? You know, as terrifying and worrying and uncertain as all of this is, I think a lot of us are also feeling a weird sense of excitement about what could come out of this deep and profound change. The church is God's hope for the world where the world is all at sea. We know what solid ground we stand on. Please pray with us that we would hear God's will, his voice in all of this. I'm praying for massive Holy Spirit ingenuity to fill all of us for new things, new inventions, new ideas. Paul ends his letter to the Romans like this and it feels a very, very appropriate way to end this today in chapter 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him, as you trust in him. It's a continual thing. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit overflowing with hope, hope to share, hope left over, overflowing, hope for everyone. We are going to go back to Angel who's going to um, sing Spirit Fall now and what I would encourage you to do as you sit in your homes as we listen to this is just do exactly what we do at the end of any service. Open yourself however you want to do that don't have to stand with your arms open if you don't want to now but however you're most comfortable lie on your back cross-legged stand if you want take some real deep breaths mindfully imagine picture his spirit filling your body filling your lungs with the breath that he promises to give you come holy spirit
1: You breathe light
2: So Lord, we thank you for the gift of your Spirit. We thank you that your Spirit is poured out for everyone, young and old, men and women. Whether we have known you for a long time or very recently, we thank you for your Spirit who fills us, our whole minds, our whole bodies, our souls, with the knowledge of who you are, with your peace and your love, with your hope and your trust. And we thank you that the Spirit is poured out without measure, always available to us, pressed down and overflowing. And we welcome your Spirit into our hearts this morning and for the whole of this time. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So thank you very much for listening. We'll be here again next week. Um, We'll probably have sorted a few things out, like very wide shots and things like that. But hey, whatever. God bless you. We're always here for you.
0: Sign up, for a small group. The aim is to make these fixed for as long as this lasts, that you feel help everyone find their sort of fixed group of people. We all know how Zoom works now. But we're here. Don't be strangers. Lots of love.
2: Goodbye. Love you.
0: Bye.